All right, all right, all right. Good morning. How are we? Good, good, good. It is good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, man, Barcelona team, uh, thank you. Uh, y'all, this is one of our visions, right? Like this is what uh, we believe that God has put the well in this city to do is to push back darkness here in Austin, pro- to proclaim the beauty of Christ, and then to plant churches, to send people, and then to send missionaries overseas to reach people groups that may not have uh, ability to even receive the gospel. You know, one of the works they'll be doing is uh, interacting with a lot of the refugees that are there in Barcelona of places that we can't go as Americans into other countries, like they're getting sent into areas of Spain that we can reach them then and then send them back out into their home countries. Like there's so much work going on in this. And so I want to say thank you to the team for being willing to go and thank you church for giving and for loving people. There are community groups that will be praying for them monthly and interacting with them continually. And there are people that are just connected that are kind of giving to this vision. And so we believe that's why we exist, y'all. And so this is like a, a big moment in a way. Like, in fact, uh, as we like baptize people and we kind of lit out a huge cheer uh, and a celebration to say, man, this is awesome. I kind of actually want to do that here, thinking about the fact that we're now sending the gospel into a place that most of us will never even be able to visit, right? But because of the work and the giving and the, the time that we now get to send the gospel over there as well. So can we like let out a cheer for that and like... Yeah, come on. That's a beautiful thing, y'all. That's a beautiful thing that not a lot of people get to be a part of, and so I'm excited about that. If you cannot hear, my allergies are doing work on me, and so uh, I'm going to try to stay kind of right here today and uh, on task. I know that we had daylight savings time end as well, and so there are people that uh, use the excuse to not be here, but y'all are here at the 9.15. Come on, I love it, all right? The other people knew they should have been here because their phones be updating automatically, but I ain't going to say nothing about that, all right? Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in Mark, uh, the end of chapter 4 and in chapter 5 today. Uh, If you need a Bible, the ushers will be coming forward. Uh, Raise your hand. They would love to give you a Bible. If you don't own one, would you please take and keep that? That's our gift to you. We want you to have the Word to be able to use it uh, during the week and to be able to read it. You can also follow along in these other ways on version or by typing that link into your browser, uh, and that will stay up for a couple of minutes. We would love for you to follow along with us and to be able to engage with the Word. Listen, we really believe that the Word of God uh, is our source, that God communicates to us and through us in that way. In fact, this team that is being sent is really uh, obeying what Scriptures are commanding and being led by the Scriptures. As we interact with the Scriptures, it does something to our life. It transforms us, and so we want our eyes on the Word. Okay. Hey, I love this section, and so I'm excited to kind of dive in as a family. So you ready? All right, three people. Here we go. All right, we're going to uh, continue in Mark today. And uh, Mark here is tying these two stories together in a very, very powerful way. And so we're going to read two different stories here, but we'll see the, the kind of culmination of it here at the end. So starting in Mark 4, excuse me, uh, we're going to start in verse 35. I'm going to read this whole first story, all right? And it says this. On that day, when evening had come, he had said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, with him, uh, or with, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. 
And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was uh, in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Firstly, some cool things as we kind of dive into the text today. Uh, you can actually trust that this story was written by eyewitnesses. The reason why is because uh, eyewitness, they usually give details that don't really advance the plot or advance the theological thrust that the author is trying to communicate. And so if Mark were just communicating himself, he wouldn't add what we would kind of call some unnecessary detail into the story. For example, it said there were other boats, and yet those boats are never mentioned again in Scripture. There's no reason to say that. Or that Jesus was asleep, but that he was asleep on a cushion, chilling, right? And we don't, there's, there's no purpose to that. It wasn't like he used the cushion to like wave it around or something, right? And so there's unnecessary detail. In fact, uh, Richard uh, Bockham, who is a historical theologian, uh, he pointed out that there's actually no other ancient text that did things like this unless it was a biography or an eyewitness account of something. And so we can actually trust the legitimacy of this that, man, somebody actually saw this happen, or at least they think they saw it happen. And so because of that, that actually carries with it some unbelievable power as we go into this text, for this is not just like a fairy tale that was made up, like this happened. And so we got to begin to think about that, and I would even invite you to begin to put yourself into this story along with the disciples, and imagine seeing this in a way. Because if this truly happened, then what happens here is powerful. Now, the context of this story, if you were here last week, Jesus was teaching some uh, parables and kind of saying, hey, this is how you know that you're saved. In fact, here's how you persevere in the faith in a way. And if you were here, Josh killed it last week, right? But the ability to kind of see, hey, this is what's happening. In fact, Jesus was teaching from the boat. And then they set off, and immediately there was peril that happened, right? Like the water began filling up the boat that they were in because of this storm that was happening. Like they were in deep, deep trouble. <coughs> Told you, allergies. Now, <coughs> there we go. All right. Now, some of these disciples, right, like Andrew or Peter, they were actually fishermen by nature. And so they were used to storms in that way. And so if these dudes are tripping out, then this must have been way beyond anything that they were used to experiencing because they were used to storms. In fact, this happened often on the sea that they were on. Storms would kind of uh, almost magically arrive out of nowhere, and yet this one was unlike any storm they had ever seen. Now listen, you know these dudes grew up in an agrarian culture, right, a farming culture, because had Jesus asked your boy to get on a boat, I'd have been like, I think I'm going to walk around the lake, Christ, right? And this is why, right here, y'all, right? And so here they are, but you also know that these dudes were minorities because they ran up to Jesus like, hey, wake up. Don't you care that we're dying, right? Like, we're about to drown in this mug, all right? That's a literal translation from the Greek, by the way. 
Just in case you didn't know, I'm helping you out, all right? And so Jesus, they're freaking out, right? They're kind of like bugging. They're wiling out, right? Jesus, wake your tail up, right? There's some urgency up in this. And then Jesus wakes up, and he just calms it all, right? The winds, the waves, they all just stop. He didn't do a, a huge showcase, you know what I mean? Like he didn't like roll up his sleeves or like wave a wand and say some magic words. That's how you wave a wand, by the way, like a lasso, all right? <laughs> Right? He just got up and he said, peace, be still. And then it stopped. And that was it. And there was no more waves. There was no more wind. There was no more storm. In fact, that, that uh, Greek word there for there was great calm, it says there at the end, that's actually a word phrase that's used in the Greek to uh, highlight how calm it was. You know those like picturesque scenes of like a completely still lake and it kind of reflects the mountains or the trees or the sun or whatever is around it. You know what I'm talking about? That's what great calm means. That's the picture phrase that the Greek is using. Now, you don't have to be an agrarian dude to know that whenever there's a storm like that, even if the storm stops, the waves, they go on for hours and hours and hours. And yet Jesus here, he says one word, and it was completely still, as if you can see the reflection off of the lake of the surrounding area. This is an unbelievable event. This kind of freaked the disciples out, right? The, the authority, the power that is displayed here in Christ like, listen, I don't even have authority over, like, my daughter like this, right? Like, I'm like, peace, be still. And then I get smacked by her, right? <laughs> and I'm like, you hit me again, it's going to be a whole other storm in this house, right? <laughs> but, like, man, this is crazy in here, right? No one has this sort of power. You don't have power like this over anything or over anyone. And Jesus here has power over the nature in this way. In fact, throughout the Psalms, you see this idea that only God had power over the winds or the waves. And so when the disciples say, who is this? They're kind of shocked. I think in their minds as Jewish men who know the Psalms, they're saying, we thought only God can do this. Is this God? <laughs> right? And this is a, a sobering and unbelievable moment. I mean, can we just take a second here, y'all? Like, for real. Once again, I, I want to re-enter us into the story. Like, do you see Jesus like this? Do you see God like this? Right? Like, is this the image that you get when you begin to think about God, this authority, this power, this majesty? This is an unbelievable moment. Like, they knew that he was something, but the winds and the waves are now listening to this man. They obeyed God. Do you get a picture of God like this? What the disciples were seeing was that Jesus had this staggering power right? It was staggering. It almost took them aback in a way. They were trying to figure out, man, who is this God? And then he asked them, hey, do you think that the waves would consume their master? <laughs> is really what Jesus is saying here. And this is staggering. Y'all, this is power. This is a story of God's power, something that we don't talk about a ton, but it's important for us to think about and to kind of start to feel the majesty of, even as we enter into this next story, for Mark actually ties these two stories together. And so let's keep reading. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea. The disciples are probably already tripping, right? Like they're probably in awe, okay? Uh, to the country of the Grassines. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. 
For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he uh, wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And when Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. <clears throat> and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. Now in ancient cultures and legends, the sea was a symbol of unstoppable destruction, the ocean in full fury was a, 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 an ungovernable, unstoppable power that only the gods, or in our case, only the God of the Bible, actually had control or authority over. Well, the exact same thing is actually true with demons. Demons had this ungovernable, unstoppable power about them. Demons were beyond us to be feared. There was this witchcraft to try to control them or this fear to try to remove them. There was this ungovernable power, and yet here come the demons terrified at the sight of Jesus. In fact, notice that Jesus doesn't even go find them. They see him from a distance, and they are the ones that run out to Jesus because there's this fear. There's this power in Christ. Like, think about it. Once again, I don't often see my Jesus as powerful in this way, but this manifestation of Jesus's power, the demons recognized immediately that he was beyond them. He had more power, more authority, more control. The God that you serve, if you serve the God of the Bible, is a powerful God. This is what we are seeing here. In fact, so powerful that if you believe in him, after you die, you don't actually die. He takes you up and resurrects you and one day will physically resurrect your body to live forever with him. For it is the power that resurrected Christ from the grave and it is the power that will resurrect you from the grave. This is power to bring dead things to life, to have control over all of this. There is this powerful, powerful God. What is it that is outside of his control? Apparently nothing is what the scripture is trying to tell us here. Jesus came into this territory and met this man that everybody was afraid of. In fact, in the Jewish Talmud, which is a commentary on the Old Testament written about 500 years before Christ, the writers said that there were four signs of madness. There were four ways that you can know that somebody was uncontrollable, that they were mad in a way. The first sign was them walking about at night. And that sounds crazy to us because we have lights, but think about it. There's no light, so if you see someone walking around in pitch blackness, there might be something wrong with them, right? They also see that there was spending the night on a grave. I don't know where they got that one from, but apparently that's a sign of madness. 
There was tearing one's clothes and then destroying what one had been given. So this man had this, and yet he had so much more as well, right? He was amongst the pigs, which for the Jews, uh, what meant a, a sign of madness because they didn't keep pigs. In fact, you know Jesus was in a Gentile territory because there were pigs around and herdsmen herding these pigs. We'll get back to that in a second, right? But this is a sign of uncleanliness, even of madness in a way. He was running around naked. You can go to the next slide, right? Is number six. He was living naked, which is just scary, right? Like if a dude runs up to me naked, then it's going to be some problems, right? Like he's going to get some hands laid on him and I'm talking in the spiritual sense, all right? And so this guy is running around naked, right? And then there are legions of demons in this man. This is a, a Roman term, a military term, which was, uh, showed how many men were in a certain army and a legion was about 5,000 men. There were 5,000 demons in this man. This is unbelievable, Right? This is power that we cannot control, right? And yet here comes Jesus easily controlling. Quick side note, by the way, right? Kind of off the cusp for a second. Uh, if you think that you are too far gone for Jesus to save, y'all, right? Like, like look at this, right? All of these signs of the inability to save. I'm not sure I saw anyone walking in this morning that was more gone than this man, Right? <laughs> And yet Jesus specifically goes across the lake just to find this one guy, just to make sure this guy understood the gospel, and he delivered him and he saved him. If Jesus can do that and has that much intentionality, then what makes you think that you are too far gone to be saved? In fact, maybe even this is the reason that you felt God's tug to come into church today for Jesus is pursuing you even right now that he may deliver you and heal you and save you. This is what we see about our God, this intentionality. Our God is a missionary God that goes out and finds the people that need him. I don't want to get ahead of myself, right? More on that in a moment. But we see this missionary aspect of God literally going overseas to find the one person, as we just prayed for in the Barcelona team. And so Jesus is ready to meet with us, right? There's all of this power being shown here, power over the oceans, power over demons. Jesus has no fear either time, by the way. There's no gimmicks to Jesus. He just has control over them. I love what Tim Keller, who's a pastor and an author from New York, says about this section and about the miracles that we see. He says, we modern people... Think of miracles as the suspension of natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease and hunger and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it was wrong and to heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretaste of what he is going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not, a challenge, are not just a challenge to our minds, but also a promise to our hearts that the world we all want, it's coming. Man, right? I want to finish up our story here because it finishes in kind of a shocking way, and it gives us some sobering truth, but then it also gives us some encouraging truth. So let's pick it back up there in verse 14. It says, The herdsmen fled and told the city, uh, and, or, sorry, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, which, by the way, side note, how sucky would it have been to be one of those herdsmen, right? 
They're like, yeah, you go shepherd those pigs out by that demon dude, all right? And then they go on, right? So they're watching this. And the people came to see what it, uh, what it was that had just happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might uh, be with him. But he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had great mercy on you. And he went away and and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. By the way, I love it. Jesus said, go say what the Lord has done. And he goes and says what Jesus has done because Jesus is the Lord. He is God. And so this man got it right? This is a powerful, powerful text. So what do we see here, right? In these two stories at large, well, several observations, several uh, sobering things, but also some encouraging things. Firstly, notice that the townspeople, they were afraid. You would think, in fact, your response should be, man, what in the world, (laughs) right? Like, what is wrong with them, okay? They were afraid of this way because they had tried everything in their power, everything that they knew to control this guy, right? Think about it for a second. They put chains on this dude, and he would just break the chains apart like he was some Marvel character or something, right? Like, they uh, came, and this guy was just sitting here in his right mind, clothed, probably waving and smiling at them as they were coming out. Y'all, I would be scared too, right? Like, this is a man you've been terrified over. The disciples, they're also afraid of Jesus's power, See, Jesus shows that he's not just someone who has power. Jesus actually shows that he is power itself. He is power incarnate in a way. And this is kind of terrifying. Anyone with this much power in the whole entire world is a little bit scary for Jesus is showing that anyone or anything that has power actually has it on loan from him, our King Jesus, for he is the actual all-powerful one. This should be encouraging and yet sobering at the same time. Because notice that both groups of people, they were actually, the disciples and the townspeople, more afraid after seeing Jesus' power than they were before Jesus' power. This is startling, y'all. Like, think about this. In fact, it doesn't show up well in the English, which is why I have the Greek up there. But in the Greek, there's this uh, word uh, delos, which equals afraid, right? That's what that word kind of means. And then there's this phobia, which is terrified. And then there's this almost like kind of almost made up word, megasphobios, which is just uh, this word with the word mega in front of it, which we still use the word mega, which would mean extremely or exceedingly, right? Mega, over the top. And so if you re-show what it says in the Greek, here's what it reads after the disciples, when the storm had calmed, he said to his disciples, why are you so delos? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were afraid. There was this fear in them. I mean, they were about to die. Hello, I would be afraid too, right? They were megasphobios, phobio. They were extremely afraid, afraid is what it says here, right? Like before they were scared, but now they're scared, scared, you know? 
Like, they're extremely terrified now. And notice the same is true with the demoniac. They were afraid of this man. They were trying to bind him with chains. And then he uses the same word afterwards. They were phobia. They were extremely terrified of Jesus. In fact, in Luke 8, it has this exact same progression when it retells the story as well. Why in the world were the disciples more afraid after the storm? Why were the townspeople more afraid after the man had been delivered? Why did they push Jesus away in a way, right? Like if I'm being chased around by a naked guy with a bunch of demons, I may be even more scared than on a boat. And if I see him delivered, it feels like, like, man, I shouldn't be that scared. But yet they were even more terrified. Well, this is what happens when you meet the God of the Bible, okay? All throughout the scripture, when we see people interacting with the God in the Bible, what we see, what we realize is that Jesus actually has terrifying power. It's not just staggering power, it's actually terrifying power, which I'll prove to you that you have done as well, even though you may not have had this response, we all do this in different ways. There are many examples in the scriptures right? Like in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah falls down as though dead, or Ezekiel, or Jeremiah, or in the book of Exodus, the people are like, hey, we want to hear the voice of God. And God is like, well, okay, you got to consecrate yourself for three days, and then I'll show up on the mountain. And they're like, yeah, let's do this. And they're all on the mountain, and God shows up, and he's like, hey, Ten Commandments. They're like, please don't talk to us anymore. That was their response, right? Please get away from us. Moses, would you go talk on our behalf? Because God is terrifying, right? When you see him, there's too much power. It's like, I can't take this much power around me is what's actually being displayed here. A clear picture of God is actually terrifying. It's scary because yes, God is intimate. Yes, God wants to be personal. Yes, God is close to us. Yes, he wants us to approach him. Praise God for the blood of Jesus that allows us to sing songs of worship to him, but we cannot neglect this powerful side of God either, for without this, there's no resurrection for us. Without this, there's no power over the small storms that we have in our life. Our God is a powerful God. In fact, I can remember being a freshman in college, and uh, I really wanted God to speak to me about whether or not I was supposed to go overseas. And I was praying, I was praying, I was praying, and uh, I started marking off on this little uh, board that I had every day that God had not spoken to me. And so what would happen is, is I would pray and I would kind of wait for three or four minutes. God, would you speak to me? I wouldn't hear anything, and I would mark off a tally. And I started getting frustrated because after 63 days is what it was, I marked off day number 63. And not only had he not spoken to me about that, I feel like he hadn't spoken to me about anything. And so I started getting really frustrated. And I was like, God, I'm sitting here fasting, right? I'm praying. I'm seeking you. I'm trying to figure out if I'm supposed to do your will and sacrifice in this way. And you ain't even speaking to me. And I feel like I heard God so clearly say to me, who are you that I should speak to you? And y'all, I'm not joking. This sounds crazy. Y'all are gonna think I'm crazy. I'm not, right? I like fell down and I started like weeping uncontrollably. And I was like, I'm sorry, right? You never have to speak to me again. That was the next word that came out of my mouth. I'm being dead serious, right? Job sees this. He's like, I put my hand over my mouth. I have said too much already. To actually interact with this God, it's a terrifying thing. Because when we realize that every other little thing in our life, right, is nothing compared to this power of God, man, it's staggering, 
But it's also staggering in a different way, for I don't think that we often see God like this. That happened to me, and yet I kind of forget that that even happened, and I flippantly approach God, and I forget that he's this powerful God. And there's a problem with that. When you and I don't see God as powerful like that, then when we have these little problems in our life, we think that God is not strong enough to actually overcome them. We forget that he's powerful enough to still the storms, and if he's powerful enough to do that, man, can't he heal you of whatever disease you have right now? Can't he uh, mend that relationship that you have? Can't he help you get a job? Hello, right? And we forget about that in a way. And so because of this, friends, this is actually in a way double scary for us because if God does have that much power, then why in the world are we in that storm in the first place? And this is where you and I get scared. And this is where you and I start to fear the power of God, whether consciously or unconsciously, because this amount of power is kind of terrifying. And we actually respond like the disciples and like the townspeople in a lot of ways. In fact, I love what Tim Keller says, once again, in his book, Jesus the King, when reflecting on and answering on why they were so scared. He says this, Jesus was as unmanageable as the storm itself. The storm had immense power. They couldn't control it. Jesus had infinitely more power, so they had even less control over him. But there's a huge difference. A storm doesn't love you. Nature is going to wear you down and destroy you, and if you live a long time, eventually your body will give out and you'll die. And maybe it'll happen sooner, through an earthquake, a fire, some other natural disaster. Nature is violent and overwhelming. It is unmanageable power, and it's going to get you sooner or later. You may say, that's true, but if I go to Jesus, he's not under my control either. He lets things happen that I don't understand. He doesn't do things according to my plan or in a ways that make sense to me. But if Jesus is God, he's got to be great enough to have some reasons to let you go through the things that you can't understand. His power is unbounded, but so are his wisdom and love. Nature is indifferent to you, but Jesus is filled with untamable love for you. If the disciples had really known Jesus loved them, if they had really understood that he is both powerful and loving, they would not have been scared. Their premise that if Jesus loved them, he wouldn't let bad things happen to them was wrong. He can love somebody and still let bad things happen to them because he is God, because he knows better than they do. Sobering. And this is where it hits the road for a lot of us. Because for a lot of us, we do not run toward God when we're in the middle of the storm. We say, what the heck are you doing, God? And if God were to show up and show us what he was doing, I think that it would completely humble us, right? But sometimes he's a gentleman who doesn't want to overwhelm us and destroy us, right? And yet, ultimately, God may do things that are uncomfortable that we don't really like, right? Jesus may have sunk those people's whole economic uh, background by sending those pigs into the ocean, and that may have been way too much for them. In fact, Jesus may have done that just to save one person because that's how much he cares about one person, and they may not have liked that, right? Jesus may have, catch this, purposefully brought those disciples into that storm. In fact, later in Mark, when Jesus is walking on water, it says that first he's on top of the mountain watching them in the storm, seeing what they're going to do. Jesus is in control of the storm and yet allows them to go into the storm in the first place. This is kind of scary for a lot of us. 
And for a lot of us at this moment, rather than running to God's power, we run from God's power, both consciously and unconsciously. And at that point, rather than submitting to God and submitting to the God that we believe is powerful and yet good, that he is over the top, untamable, and yet so is his love for us, we kind of don't believe either of these, and we kind of take life back into our hands and we say, I don't think this storm is good, and so I'm going to control my own life. I do not trust your power nor your love, God, and we become our own gods. Hello, I'm only talking about myself up in this joint, right? I do this, right? I do this often, right? Just like Adam and Eve, we say to God, I know the difference between good and evil. And we take life into our own hand and we say, that storm is evil. And therefore, I don't know if you could be trusted, God. And this power that God has to even put us in there in the first place and then kind of walk with us and yet allow us to walk through, that becomes staggering, that becomes terrifying. And at that moment, a lot of us, we run from God or we push God away like those town people did. And we say, I don't really want you around me, God. I want to be in control of my own life because if it were me, I wouldn't have gotten on that boat in the first place. I already told you all that, right? And so then we say, man, I don't want to do this, right? And ultimately, we don't want to lose control or comfort or our own power. So rather than submitting and surrendering to God, we become our own gods. But in this is the tragic mistake, friends. For it may be that very storm that God is sending you into or through that may actually save your soul in the first place. Or it may be that very storm that prepares you to be used by God on mission with God. He may be trying to sanctify you to make you look more like his son, and yet we are afraid of God. We don't trust his love or his power, so we tend to kind of push him away in those seasons rather than going to him and having faith in him to be able to be used by him in a way. I think about it like this. Uh, Maybe a, a human example would make more sense. Uh, Micaiah, my oldest daughter, uh, when she was two months old, we took her in to uh, get her two-month checkup. And I remember at that checkup, I remember asking the doctor, I was like, hey, is everything okay with Micaiah? Because like she doesn't cry like ever. Okay, so we had like a miracle baby, y'all, all all right? If y'all are pregnant, that ain't gonna happen to you. I'm sorry, all right? (laughs) But so I'm like, is everything okay, right? And he's like, what do you mean she doesn't cry? And I'm like, she literally like doesn't cry. And he's like, like you've never heard her cry? And I was like, oh, I mean, like five or six times, but like almost never. And he was like, I don't know why you're asking me that, bro. Like kind of as a blessing, all right? Because it's going to change. Y'all, it changed, by the way, all right? But I remember sitting there, and then it was time for her shots, right? And so the doctor said, hey, you got to hold her leg down, and then she'll get her shots, you know. And mind you, I barely ever heard my daughter even cry. And so I'm holding her down, and then boom, she gets this shot, And she lets out this sound I've never heard come out of her mouth before. And man, I was like, I started crying, y'all. Like, I was like, I don't want my daughter to hurt like this, right? But then more tragedy for me happened, right? Because I was the one holding her down, and I was the first one that she saw afterwards. She wanted nothing to do with me like the rest of the day. She didn't want me to hold her, didn't want me to touch her, didn't want me around her. Now, what she didn't realize is that, man, I am doing this because I think this is a way to help save her life later, right? I ain't gonna get into the whole vaccination thing. I ain't what I'm talking about, all right? I know what y'all were thinking. I know what y'all were thinking, all right? (laughs) I ain't even gonna get into that. Y'all do you, all right? But in my mind, this is what helped her the most, right? That this would save her later. That this would allow her not to get disease later. And yet all she could feel was the immediate pain and she wanted nothing to do with me. I think God does the same thing to you. And I think that we respond just like my daughter did to me. We go, God, please get away from me. (laughs) Right? 
and his power becomes terrifying. His control of the situation, we don't really like that control. We want the power that will deliver us, not the power that will be with us and take us through things. See, Jesus was with the disciples. In fact, he was chilling the whole time. He knew he had control over it, but they didn't. And they were afraid of that, right? In fact, I love the question that Jesus asked the disciples. It says, have you still no faith? Another way you could word that in the Greek, you can actually make that say, where is your faith? Where is your faith at? Because here's what happens. Oftentimes when we read this, we read it as, you stupid fools, have I been with you long enough? Where's your faith? And that's how we kind of read that. And so we read it as a rebuke. And then when we read it as a rebuke, we end up feeling condemned later in life because we don't have faith like the disciples. And we go, man, I'm kind of stupid too. But that's not the way that Jesus is asking this. The word no there is even the indicator is that Jesus isn't asking, hey, how come your faith isn't on level five yet? He's not doing the measure or the strength of their faith. He's asking about the object of the faith. Where is your faith? Why don't you trust me is what Jesus is saying here, right? Here's an analogy to maybe make that picture make more sense, okay? The question that Jesus is asking isn't about the strength of their faith, it's about the object of their faith, okay? And so pretend that you're about to fall off of a cliff, and you're falling off of a cliff, and let's say that it's a 400-foot drop to your sure death as you're falling off. Why you were that close to the cliff anyway, I don't know, that's on you, all right? But as you're falling off, you look and you see a branch, okay? And it's the only thing stopping you between you and your sure doom. And so you're kind of falling. And you know how in those moments your brain thinks like 150 times faster than it does like in real life, you know? And so let's pretend you're falling. You're kind of looking at the branch and you go, okay, you know what? I'm about 200 pounds. You're kind of slowly falling, right? And this branch, I'm not sure if it can hold me. In fact, this branch, it kind of looks like it can only hold about 150 pounds, right? And you're kind of analyzing the branch a little bit, and you're thinking about it, and you're like, you know what? I don't think it can hold me, so I'm just going to fall off to my doom. Bye. <laughs> Nobody does that, right? None of us do that at that moment, okay? You say, oh my God, please, the branch, right? And you start reaching for it, okay? Why does that happen, okay? Uh, you don't know if the branch can hold you or not, but at that moment, it doesn't matter, right? In fact, you may analyze and you may be like, I'm 98.6% sure this branch cannot hold me, but you better be dang sure you're still grabbing onto that branch, right? You better know that I'm still trying to hold on to this branch, even though you don't know if it can save you or not. The point at that moment isn't the quality of your faith, it's the object of your faith. It's the branch. Jesus is the branch, y'all. That as you're going through these things in life, Jesus isn't saying, are you 100% sure? That's not what he's asking the disciples here. He says, do you have no, any faith, even just 2% faith to grab onto me at that moment, right? It doesn't matter the quality, but rather the object of your faith. Jesus is trying to shift his disciples' attention back onto himself. Do you have any faith that I can save you? In fact, we know this because the only person who gets it in this text is the demoniac. How interesting that this man doesn't even have a name. It's just his former identity. He was the man that was possessed by legion, right? The demoniac is the only one that gets it. And we see him at the feet of Jesus clinging to him saying, I want to be with you. His faith is in the Lord. In fact, he says, go and say what the Lord has done. And he goes and says everything that Jesus has done because he gets it. He understands it, right? That here comes Jesus Jesus did whatever it took to win this man's soul. 
He crossed over the stormy seas. He went amongst the unclean pigs. He went amongst a group of people that he knew was going to reject him. The whole city rejected this man and say, please get away from me. And he did all that to save this one soul. If he did all of this to save this one soul, do you not think that God cares for you and will be with you whatever storm you're in, friends? Listen, if he's already paid the price for your life, if he has shed his blood that you may be saved, do you not think that he's going to walk with you in these little moments of life, y'all? The disciples, they were missing it. They didn't get it, right? Their eyes were fixed on the winds and the waves, just like Peter later when Jesus was walking, rather than the person that controls the winds and the waves. For if they looked at him, they would have had no fear, but yet they looked away from him and there was this fear and they were like, why? And this powerful, this God that can control, why is he acting like this, right? So if it seems like Jesus is asleep on you, do you trust him? If he's watching you in the storm or asleep with you in the storm, do you trust his power? That's a scary question to ask because Jesus' power, it's actually kind of terrifying, y'all. When you interact with it, it'll bring you to your face. And when you see it from a distance and you hear all about what he's done, you may push him away like the townspeople because Jesus' power is a terrifying thing. And it is an unbelievably comforting thing and an unbelievably beautiful thing because Jesus' power will also save you, deliver you, and sit you at his feet. You can trust Jesus. And do you know why, friends, you can trust him? Do you know why you can truly submit to this God? Because we see Jesus here as the first missionary, right? He was the first missionary to Adam and Eve, and here he is, the missionary again, crossing over the sea to be with the demoniac, that this man may be saved. He will do what it takes to save your soul. And if he will do that, don't you know you can trust him, friends? If he's already done what it took to save your soul, don't you know he'll walk with you through whatever you may be in, right? We also know we can trust Jesus because Jesus actually faced the way greater storm than the disciples faced. You see, Jesus was also unclothed, just like the demoniac there on the cross. Jesus was also chained to the cross by the nails in his hand, just like they were trying to chain the demoniac. Jesus was also cast out so that we who should have been cast out away from God's presence into the abyss with those same demons forever may now have intimacy with him and be reunited with him forever. You can trust God. He already did everything it takes to save you, friends. Won't he also deliver you from every other minor thing then? The disciples didn't get it, and we don't either. But once we see this, once we refix our eyes on Jesus, once we remember this faith, then what begins to happen is he starts to commission us. He then sends us out. See, the demoniac got it, and he said, now go and tell everything that I have done. The disciples in Matthew 28, as John mentioned, they go out and they make disciples. They proclaim what Jesus has done. Because after you got it, you can't help but telling everybody, he's delivered me again and again and again and again, and I know he'll deliver me here. And he'll deliver me when I die because he is a powerful God, but also a loving God that can be trusted. And you focus and you become a missionary. And maybe even like this man, you end up going overseas, just like Jesus here, leaving, going to reach a people, even if you're rejected by everyone else, that even just one would hear about the beauty of Christ and who he is. We get commissioned with the same power that resurrected Jesus, now living inside of us, y'all. This is powerful. Do you trust him? Will you walk with him? Or rather, will you let him walk with you? Or will you push him away like the townspeople? 
I pray that we would be a church that trusts the power of Jesus and that walks with him despite whatever storm he may have us in. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for being powerful. Like C.S. Lewis said in the children's story, you, God, are a lion. You're a powerful lion, right? So are you safe? No, but you're good. I pray we would trust that you're a consuming fire, that you love us, God. Lord, I pray for those who maybe they do not know who you are, Maybe they haven't come to you. Maybe this idea of submitting to your power is terrifying. It is terrifying. But I pray that even right now, they would realize that, man, you're still good. Friends, if you do not know Jesus, he is worth knowing. You may not be 100% sure, but it's not the strength of your faith. It's the object of your faith. Reach out to that branch today. Jesus can live with us today. Even right now, you can say, Jesus, I want you in my life. Would you come? Would you live in my heart? I trust you. I give myself to you. And right now, you can have a relationship with God. And if he's strong enough to save us from sin and death and Satan, he will save us from every other storm. And so I pray for those who wrestle with unbelief. Maybe even for those of us who need deliverance like this man. I pray we would trust God's power. God, will we trust your power? And then as we trust your power, would we be commissioned for mission to go tell everyone about the beauty of what you have done, Christ? We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your precious and your beautiful name. Amen.